All right, everyone. Hey, this is Nathan Crankfield, uh, the host of Seeking Excellence podcast. And I just want to remind you that this is actually part two to Why Am I Catholic? So if you haven't listened to part one, it was released last Monday. I encourage you to go back and check that one out. But I hope you get a lot out of today's episode and want to encourage you again, as you heard me say last week, to go to exodus90.com. Check out Exodus 90. Highly, highly encourage you to do it. It was one. Of, it was a life-changing event for me. Many men have used it to discern I have friends who have discerned marriage with it, who have discerned the priesthood, who have uh, broken addictions to all types of different things in their life and sin. So I uh, want to encourage you to check that out, discern. Maybe this is the year for you. Maybe this is the year to dive in, especially if you've been seeing yourself get weak lately, mentally soft. Uh, that was kind of when I did it. I was like, you know what? I feel like I'm getting soft. So I needed something to really challenge me and it kicked me in the butt. So I highly encourage you to check that out. But alas, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. You were never out of the fight. You were created for a time such as this. And you are now preparing to be sent into battle. God is calling you to be his disciple, to be formed in virtue and holiness. He has appointed you as an ambassador of his kingdom. To go and represent him to his people. He's enlisted you as a soldier of Christ to be sent out to fight for the good in this world. You are not made to make excuses. It's time for you to take extreme ownership for your life, for all of your life. It's time to rise up and finally be the man or woman you were created to be. Follow God. lead others and never surrender. It is time to begin seeking excellence. So I'm going to open up here. If you want to, if you have a Bible with you or if you have your phone with you, because now in the 21st century, we have the Bible on our phones. Go ahead and open that bad boy up to John, the gospel according to St. John. Chapter 6, that's 6 for those of you who don't speak Spanish. Now, what I truly encourage you to do is two things. One is pray with this. Two is uh, watch this video. It's called like The Hour That Will Change Your Life by Father Mike Schmitz. It's from Seek in 2015. We were in Nashville. I was there. Life-changing talk. I was really struggling with like belief in the true presence of the Eucharist up to that point until I heard this talk. And after that, I never, nothing was the same as Drake would say, everything was different. So this is what he does. He's going to do it much more in depth in that video. I'll put that video in the show notes as well. Link to it here on YouTube. If you're watching me, if you want to see my ugly mug, as I said, all these different things. Um, but I got my Bible open. I'm using the revised standard version, uh, Catholic edition, sold on Dynamic Catholic. This is the New Testament only um, in this book that I have here. Uh I feel like I've done a lot of dynamic Catholic ads today. They're not even paying me anymore. Chapter six, John chapter six talks with the feeding of the five, starts with the feeding of the 5,000, right? So you're probably familiar with this. Um, you know, the Jesus is like, we got to feed these people. Uh, you know, my man, uh, my man is just shook. Uh, all the people are like, we don't have enough money. The apostles are like, bro, we're broke. 
Um, Jesus took these loaves that they just yeeted from this uh, young buck, uh, this little lad who had five barley loaves and two fish. He was stacked compared to everybody else. Um, and they just said, let me hold that real quick. Jesus did some plickety plow on it, and the baskets were overflowing. Filled 12 baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves left by those who had eaten. All right, so I just gave you a really, really terrible summary of what happens from verses 1 through 15. Um, then, I forget that this is in here. In verses 16 to 21, Jesus is out here just, just tramping, tramping on water, right? Walking on the water, walking on the sea, drawing near the boat. Dudes are just freaking out. He's like, chill out. It's me. And they're like, who's me? And he's like, Jesus. That's how I assume it went. And then they were glad to take him into the boat. And immediately the boat was at land to which they were going. On the next day, uh, the people came around, right? And so Father Mike basically breaks down that there's like three people in this story. You have the crowd, you have the disciples, and then you have the apostles, right? So the first, you know, Jesus, the day before fed them, you know, fed the five, what was it? 5,000, right? Yeah. Fed the 5,000 next day. Uh, he's like, you guys are just coming over here, uh, because you want to eat. Right. He said, truly, truly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves, right? Do not labor for food, which perishes, but for the food, which endures to eternal life, which the son of man will give to you for on him has God, the father set his seal. That's on verse 27. Then Jesus said to them in 29, this is the work of God that you believe in him who he has sent. So he said to him, what sign do you do that we may see and believe in you or believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate man in the wilderness as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven. My father gives you true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is that which comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. Now, listen to this. So I told you there's three groups, right? You got the crowd, you got the disciples, you got the apostles. Jesus loses a lot of people this day. A lot of people walk away. They decide to bounce. Jesus has a lot of analogies in scripture at different points in the gospels. Jesus says, I am the gate. Um, you know, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And nobody says, oh, this dude's crazy, right? Like he's not making any sense. He uses a lot of analogies. I'm the way, the truth, and the life, right? Like, uh, that's not an analogy. But, you know, to say that he's the way, like, would be confusing for people. Um, but nobody says, like, you're not a road. Like, you're not a path. Like, you're a person, right? Uh, nobody says you're not a gate. You're a person. Nobody says you're not a vine. You're a person. Um, like, he, he, no, nobody, like, he, he says that he's the shepherd. Like, he, nobody says you're not a shepherd. You're a carpenter, right? Like, he uses a lot of analogies. So the idea that he's using an analogy and people get pissed off doesn't really add up. Because he uses analogies in other places and nobody cares. They get it. They're like, okay, it's an example, right? He speaks in parables. That's like his whole jam is analogies. But Jesus says to them, after they say, Lord, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I'm in verse 35, 635 here. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall not hunger. And he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet you do not believe. All the father gives me will come to me and him who comes to me, I will not cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me that I should, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. So he continues on. 
the Jews murmured at him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. They said, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I have come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the father comes to me. Now check this out. Verse 47. Truly, truly, I say to you, this is Jesus speaking. He who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that a man may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread which I shall give for the life of the world is my flesh. Now check this out again. Jesus makes analogies throughout scripture, analogies, examples, and parables. Nobody ever trips. There's no other example of this. But in verse 52, the Jews then disputed among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Now they're already getting kind of mad before and Jesus called them out and said, don't murmur among yourselves. Then he goes on and says even further, your fathers ate man in the desert. They died. I am the bread which came down from heaven. The life, the bread that I give to the world is my flesh. Then they continue to get upset, right? How can this man give us his flesh to eat? That's disgusting. He's talking about us eating him. That's cannibalism. This boy's tripping out. He sounds crazy at this point, right? So at this point, if you're Jesus, and this is an analogy or a symbol, as many uh, of our Protestant brothers and sisters would have you believe, this is a great opportunity to clarify. If you've ever been misunderstood, misinterpreted, after you've said something two or three times at this point, you might want to clarify and be like, no, I mean, like, like I like, you know, like spiritually feed you, you know, like my words give you life, you know, like scripture and stuff. Um, like, like scripture, like I quoted to the devil where I said, man does not live on bread alone, but every word that comes to the mouth of God, like, like, like that kind of stuff. You know what I mean? Like I kind of, I feed you like metaphorically. Instead, what does Jesus say? Verse 53, holla at me, Jesus. He says, so Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh, of the son of man and drink his blood. You have no life in you. Now to me, that doesn't sound like he's dabbling in this idea of eating and drinking. My man said, truly, truly, I say to you, my man said like, truly, truly, Jesus says, truly, truly, before he's like, I am not messing around. He's like, listen to me, right? Like, look at me. This is like how I talk to my dog. I'm like, Luna, look at me. This is how he's talking to us. Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the son of man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. That sounds like a problem. That sounds like something I want to do. He who eats, and then he goes on, verse 54, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. There's no other church that I know of. I mean, there, there's some churches, don't get me wrong. I think this is something that not a lot of... uh uh, Catholics know is that there are certain churches like the Lutheran church. And I think it's just Lutherans and like Orthodox who believe that they still have like the true presence of the body of Christ in communion. The Catholic church would say that they do not, or that, that, uh, that uh, Lutherans at least do not. And others just do like pure symbol, which is another thing that I think is pretty crazy. Uh, I'll share that to the end. Cause I want to finish this, finish this in, in scripture here. Because this is, yeah, this is a long part. I knew it would be long. 
So then he says, I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus, verse 55 says, for my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. 56, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. As the living father sent me and I live because of the father. So he who eats me live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not such as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. This he said in the synagogue as he taught at Capernaum. Now, what about that? Sounds like he's clarifying it to sound like he's being metaphorical or a symbol. Martin Luther, when he broke off from the Catholic Church, Lutherans still believed in the true presence of communion, that they're eating the flesh uh, and, and blood of eating the flesh and drinking the blood of Jesus at communion time in Lutheran churches. They believe that's what the Lutheran church teaches. At least the majority of them do. So like Martin Luther, when he like the first Protestant believed in the true presence. Like he believed this, he believed also known as believing scripture based on what Jesus himself is saying. This isn't even like somebody else in some random part. Like this is John chapter six, Jesus's words. And he says it over and over again. The next verse, verse 60, many of his disciples, when they heard it, said, this is a hard saying. Who can listen to it? Other translations say, who can accept it? 61 says, but Jesus, knowing in himself that his disciples murmured at it, said to them, do you take offense at this? Then what if you were to see the son of man ascending to where he was before? Like, do you not believe what I'm saying? Like, what about when you see me in my glory? Will you believe me then? It is the spirit that gives life. The flesh is of no avail. So Jesus continues on there, right? Verse 66 says, after this, many of his disciples drew back and no longer went about with him. So the crowds murmured and fought about themselves. His disciples, you have to understand that his disciples, dog, his disciples are the people who like left stuff to follow him. Like if you've watched The Chosen, these are the people who like gave up things. Like these weren't just some people, these weren't some passerbys, right? Like the crowd might've been some people who just got fed, but the disciples had been with my man for a while. Like they left their jobs, their families to follow him. Jesus then took, looked to the 12 and said, will you also go away? And Simon Peter, also known as the first Pope, also known as St. Peter, also known as the, the, the original o, or the OG of, uh, of the papacy, the papacy. That was hard to get out. St. Uh, St. Peter said to him, Lord to, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And we have believed him. Come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Dude. I don't know how people don't believe in the Eucharist. I think if you, like, this was really powerful when Father Mike goes through all of it. He does a much better job than I did. Uh, I, I highlight some of his points there. But he did that. And then they did like a Eucharistic procession and people were weeping. There was not a, a single person Protestant that came with us on that trip. that wanted to be Protestant when they left that day, because if you believe in the Eucharist and you don't, you know, I had friends who came and, and became Catholic after that. They said, my parents always said, you can't just pick and choose parts of scripture that you like and parts that you don't. I've never, I've never had a friend of mine, a Protestant, like look at me and read that scripture verse and be like, yeah, you know, you're, you're wrong. You're wrong. That's not what he meant. This is just a symbol, man. It's just a symbol. Now, I got another podcast coming out here soon with uh, my man, Noble Gibbons. And, or I think it's the same week as this one comes out. I have to check the schedule. But one thing we talked about in that was regards to like different things in, in the world and especially politically, how we get manipulated by the government and how people don't really want to face the truth a lot of the time because uh, it, it's the truth is demanding. Right. The truth makes you the truth demands answers. 
the truth demands that you change your life sometimes. And so that's why I think that a lot of times people don't want to look into this and people don't want to learn more about the church. People, I, I've always said that like, you don't have to be like worked up about defending the Catholic church because the truth defends itself. So if people look into it, I mean, how many people you see this with, with atheists becoming Christian when they try to prove Christianity wrong, right? Lee Strobel is a great example of this, the case for Christ, the case for Easter. He's written a lot of books since then. But I think he was a lawyer and tried to like, or a historian, I can't remember, and tried to go through and like prove Christianity wrong with like history and like, like just kind of digging into like a lot of the things that he doubted. And he ended up becoming a Christian. There's been uh, Muslims who have done this, but there's a lot of Protestants who do the same thing with Catholicism, dig deeper and try to prove it wrong and end up becoming Catholic because they're like, holy cow, this is overwhelming. So we have a lot of great books that are written about that. Um, Rome Sweet Home is Scott Hahn's version, uh, his story. Um, Confessions of a Megachurch Pastor by my friend Alan Hunt. We actually did a podcast with him. It was like one of our first 10, I want to say. So you can go back and listen to that. We talk about his journey uh, from being a megachurch pastor, a Methodist, um, becoming Catholic. And a lot of it had to do with the Eucharist. But a lot of times, like I said, the, tr- the truth is demanding. So I'm going to wrap up here because I know we're at an hour, uh, a little bit over. But the, the number five, the reason why I'm Catholic, and I think a lot of people don't want to look into this, is that the church stands for something. And yes, like I said, the church has done a lot of bad. We, we've had a lot of, the church hasn't done bad, but the, there's been a lot of scandals and things that have come out of members of the church, uh, a lot of evil deeds and things that have been done, right? We're all still sinners that make up this body of Christ that is the Catholic church. But one thing that I think is funny, even if you look at like movies, right? And we've always lasted, they like when people need an exorcism, like in a, in a scary movie, they don't call the ripped jeans mega church pastor from down the street. He never gets to come. <laughs> right? I, I don't understand. Like it's never the, the Stephen Furtick, when you need an exorcism, when you, you encounter some seriously dark shit, right? Like when, when things are really bad, somebody's possessed by, by a demon or, you know, there's a satanic presence or things like that. Like they don't, they don't take you to that guy. It's just, it's just not what's done, man. Like that's, that's why is that? Like even Hollywood knows and, and, and how many exorcists have examples and, and proof have talked to demons who are possessing people. There's countless examples of these. You can go back and listen to a lot of uh, Father Ripperger's stuff. Father Chad Ripperger, look at him up on YouTube. And they talk about how much the demons are terrified of Mary and Joseph, right? Mary, the mother of God, the rosary, uh, her name, like when she's invoked for her intercession. Same with St. Joseph. That's why one of his titles is the terror of demons. But then also look at the martyrs, right? Like people who have died for the faith over the years that have kept Christianity alive for the first 1,500 years, all of them are Catholic. Uh, the pro-life message and traditional marriage. I, I One of the things that like I used to, I used to even like still go to mass and like listen to Elevation, listen to Stephen Furtick. Um, and there's another podcast on uh, The Spillover with Alex Clark where she talks to somebody who used to be into like magic and um, not just magic stuff. Like I'm not talking about like fun, like sleight of hand magicians, but like dark, dark magic and uh, like yoga and um, like card reading and all that kind of stuff. And she talks about a lot of these mega churches and how bad they are. Now she has her problems with Catholicism as well. And I think she's a little bit miseducated about it, but I had a similar experience as hers where you start to realize like the reason why all of these pastors, a lot of them, like Stephen Furtick, who I listened to for years, like I'm not talking, I listened to him like twice. Like 
I've read three of his books. And I listened to him for like three years, like almost weekly. And I was like, he never preaches on anything that's difficult. He never preaches on anything that's divisive. And Jesus very clearly and specifically in scripture tells us that he came not to unify, but to divide. That there would be mother against father, um, mother against son, sister against brother, you know, husband against wife. Like it would be divide. Like he's a divisive figure in history, right? Like G- like the real Jesus, not the nice like 21st century like politically correct Jesus, but like the real Jesus was divisive, and he said some divisive things. And I started to realize that my favorite priests, like Father Meyer, like Father Mike, um, like they they preach these pro life messages. They preach about the importance of traditional marriage. They preach against socialism and all of its evils. Uh, but you don't hear that from Stephen Furtick. You can, you can stay, you can stay very much the same person you are and go to elevation church for years. And you can do that, unfortunately, in a lot of Catholic churches, but you can't argue that the Catholic church doesn't stand against abortion. So many of the leading causes like the students for life, uh, like Abby Johnson, like live action and Lila Rose, um, are led by Catholics in the in the pro-life movement. Even, even people who are fighting against the death penalty in the United States a lot of times are Catholics, compassionate Catholics. Uh, traditional marriage, I mean, the church is an ardent defender of traditional marriage, right? Not as much as we should sometimes, but we don't do any of that stuff. And there's people who will lie to you and say the church is going to change, it's going to bend, it's going to grow and, and evolve and all this stuff. And it's not going to happen. It's not because it's not what Christ wanted. So I just started to realize, man, the church, like there's been 113 attacks since, um, was it July or November? I don't know. There's a list on the USCCB website. I was just looking at it last week of attacks of vandalism, destruction, spray painting, hate messages on Catholic churches. We've had like five in Denver, um, 113 over the last like year and a half. They don't, they don't do that to elevation. Antifa doesn't go in and spray paint and destroy and, and rip up uh, pro-life crosses and stuff like that at elevation churches parking lot or their, their, their grounds because they don't do that stuff. And they make millions and millions of dollars doing this and preaching these messages of prosperity and all this stuff. And like, you can kind of live however you want. You can, they don't talk about uh, birth control. They don't talk about um, abortion. They don't talk about pornography. They don't talk about uh, living together before marriage, cohabitation. They don't talk about traditional marriage. They talk about any of this stuff. I, I personally, I mean, if, if, if Stephen Furtick has talked about this, please send it to me. But I'm telling you, I listened to hundreds of hours of Stephen Furtick and never heard him mention any of those things. I will give Michael Todd that he'll occasionally talk about like sex before marriage and things like that, but I've never heard him really preach a pro-life message. I see the same thing. I have the same issues with like Lecrae and all these um, Christian rappers who I love. But I have the same problem with a lot of them. They get they'll they'll get they'll get bold and piss off conservatives and, and support BLM and support all this other stuff and talk about conservative Christians and, and you know I heard Triple E in his last single talked about uh, Republicans and how bad that you know what I mean like but they they will never call out Democrats they'll never call out uh, you know they'll, they'll talk they'll like say like yeah passively like I'm pro life but they'll they'll talk a lot more about BLM than they will abortion even though abortion has killed over sixty million Americans in the last fifty years. So the church stands for something. The last thing I want to talk about is the universality of the church. I think one thing that's really powerful um, 
is when you get to go to mass in a different language. When you go to mass in, in Mexico, I've been to mass in, uh, I've been to mass in Lithuania. I've been to mass in Afghanistan. I've been to mass um, in a lot of different countries and a lot of different languages in Vietnamese. I've been to mass in French, I've been to mass in Latin. And you get to experience that universality. I remember being in Lithuania, I was 19 and I had like my mass readings up on my phone and I knew that the church that I was in, I was in the cathedral in Vilnius, Lithuania, and they were reading the same readings that my church back in uh, Pennsylvania or Maryland was reading. I knew when we were getting to the consecration, I knew the words that the priest, even though he was speaking in Lithuania, I knew the words he was saying over the consecration because it's a Catholic church, it's a universal church, they say it everywhere. We are one, we are unified. The same thing that Jesus himself, when he was praying to the Father in Scripture, in the Gospel of John, Prayed that we be one, that we be unified. Since 1517, there's been over 30,000 denominations created of Christianity. About half of Christians in the world are Protestant, half are Catholic. Of the Catholics, you might have people who disagree with things within the church, but we have the catechism and we have scripture and we have tradition that lay out the teachings of the Catholic church. And nobody can say that the Catholic church teaches anything different than it does. Of the other half of Christianity, you have Protestantism, which has divided over 30,000, I think it's over 33, 35,000 times, including every time this little new church starts and, and, and Stephen Furtick is the Pope of Elevation Church. Because I think, I always think that's so funny how, how Protestants will be like, well, the Pope, you shouldn't have one leader in this. It's like, what do you, like, every organization has like an org chart, the army, your job, you know what I mean? Like everything has like a CEO down to the, like. You just need that for a big organization. You have to have organization. And Jesus knew that. So that's why we have a Pope. Stephen Furtick just happens to be the, the ultimate source of interpreting scripture and everything at his church. And so that's the other thing with scripture that I forgot to mention is like the interpretation of scripture. We're not meant to just like discern it on our own because how do people come up with such different ideas? If it's just so easy to like determine it on your own and what it means how are there so many different ideas? Why do you have so many churches who are pro-gay marriage and against it, pro-abortion and against it? If scripture is so, is so clearly understood and it's so easy, it's meant to be just discerned by the individual. Why, how, do we, how do we all read it and then come up with different, different ideas and answers? That's why we need the church. We need the church to interpret scripture for us. So that way I can check and give my benefit of the doubt to the church and say, I don't understand this verse. What does the church say about it? And you can go back and read centuries, centuries of church teaching on that scripture. So I just want to encourage everybody, if you haven't done the, uh, excuse me, the old, uh, if you haven't watched the Father Mike video, if you haven't looked up some of this stuff, um, I'm going to link a lot of things in, in this uh, caption or whatever, you know what I mean? But uh, check out, if, if you're listening to any of this anywhere, like it's going to be on YouTube, it's on the podcast, it's on Instagram. Pray with some of the scripture, get a better prayer life. If you haven't downloaded the Hallow app, the Hallow app is the best way to pray um, or the best way to learn how to pray if you don't have a prayer life now. Uh, and you can't be a saint without a prayer life. It's impossible. And so just now I lay me down to sleep or bless us, O Lord, does not count as a serious prayer life. And I want you to be a saint. I want you to live the best life that you can live. Um, and so I encourage you to check out our link uh, to download Hallow. It's a great way to support us because we get a little kickback from um when people use our link to, to download and use the free trial, um, you don't even have to buy it, but if you just start a free trial, then it helps support the podcast. Um, and you also will help 
get a lot of benefit in your prayer life. So share that with people, if you will. Again, as I said at the beginning, if you haven't left us a review, please do. It goes a long way, um, helps us get the message out. Share this message with somebody who you'd like to hear it or who you'd like to hear it and uh, have some discussions around this stuff. Learn more about it if you're a Catholic who doesn't know these things and you're not formed on this stuff. But if you're a Protestant, what are you protesting against? That's what Protestant stands for. You're protesting against something. You've broken off from the church and you might want to have a good reason why. Um, for the rest of us, I encourage you to take this stuff more seriously, to read more scripture and to go to uh, mass more often, go to confession more often, um, and just genuinely continue to fight hard and strive to be your best. Know that we're here for you. Look forward to seeing you in the next episode. God bless.